Good evening. If you haven't checked your emails, Loanne Robbins is back at the hospital again. We don't know specifically what's wrong. Her neighbor, uh, friend, came by after she hit her emergency button, and I guess they turned around and called 9-11. I don't know the details, but she's, from what she saw, Luann had been throwing up, was uh, not herself, I guess, and whatnot. So we can't, we don't know, we know she's at the hospital. We verified she's at university again. Uh, so, but other than that, we know nothing else. We have the call to worship. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 421 421.
us pray. God above, we are thankful for the that Jesus Christ is ruling now as the Messiah through the church and shall rule when all things shall be under his feet. When he returns, God, even as he is now God in the flesh, he rules all things, Lord. We pray for the mediatorial rule of Christ to continue to expand and to have its full fruition, God, through our lives. We ask, Lord, that we would continue to participate in that kingdom, God, and may this evening be such a participation by your spirit and grace, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have Psalm 48b to sing.
Uh, the first five stanzas, she'll play through it first. Well, maybe only four, I don't know.
sung in these psalms, God Almighty, we cry out to you for help and deliverance as well as praise and glory, Lord, for all that you are and all that you have done and continue to do, Lord, and what you have promised to do. And we know that you shall do for our lives, Lord, and for the lives of those who follow you and are members of the body of Christ. Gracious Lord and Savior, precious Spirit, we pray in particular for our work situations, that we would continue to work and be well-employed, God, with good hours and good pay, especially in a weak economy with rising prices, Lord, and inflation. We ask, God, that we would have good jobs, that we would have good co-workers, Lord, that we would work and work well, as unto you especially, God, to know our strengths and weaknesses, Lord, to know where we need to do a little better on our company uh, for our jobs, Lord, and uh, to get proper training as, as well as we can, Lord, to have part of the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, self-control, if need be. And so, God, we pray also for those who are employers and bosses, God, and men in positions of authority, uh, that they would exercise a right on their jobs, Lord, give them wisdom in dealing with the company issues and woes, as we know in some of the companies here among us, God, with the rising prices again, uh, affecting businesses, Lord, and uh, Christian workers and businessmen don't want to lay off people. They want to employ people, God. They want to be useful members of society and God's kingdom, especially, Lord. Help them to that end, I pray. Uh, give them wisdom. Give them insight. Give them perseverance. Give them opportunities, Lord. Give them the funds they need, and perhaps a, a better uh, cor- a corporation and, and covenant and agreement with another company, Lord, that would work things out for them, whatever it may be. We pray, Lord, for such things for them, God. And also with respect to them hiring and firing people, Lord, again, to give them insight, to know who's hire, who to fire and how to fire them, Lord. Uh, give them words to guide them, Lord, and perseverance and do the right thing for the company. We pray, indeed, for all of us, God, although not all of us have a job as such, we have work. We have, Lord, what we are called to do in our callings and vocations, Lord, to do it well unto you, to take care of the house, to take care of the family, Lord, and other such things in our lives. We pray, God, that we would continue to do such, continue to do better as we can, Lord, and to be thankful that we are doing well in certain areas, God, and not be discouraged to think that we have to be perfection, perfectionistic in one degree or another, Lord, but rather to keep on carrying on. We pray in particular, Lord, for the economy that would not get worse. We pray, Lord, for the movement of goods, especially, Lord, for the movement of money so that employee employers would pay employees good living wages as they are able, God. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that we could find good work uh, for our neighbors, Lord, that they would have a good economy. But again, especially for the household of faith, God, as you tell us in Galatians 6.10, to pray, Lord, for the household of faith, especially for our Christian brothers and sisters, God, that they would have good employment, they would have the monies they need, that the uh, worseness of the economy won't be too bad for them, they won't get fired, Lord, they would be able to save up money. And the churches, again, would adjust accordingly to help one another, and that we would all help, Lord, not just the deacons, but as we are able, as friends and family members of the household of God. We pray, God, for those of us that we know. We think of Simon and Tolly, others, God, who are in the military, others who work for the police or medical or fire, uh, those services, Lord, that are more or less dangerous and and needful in our society, God, that you would be with them, that you would help them, you would give them access to good ministers or chaplains, Lord, good churches, God, especially, Lord, our brothers in the military. And it's especially hard for them, for they have to go wherever the they tell them to go, Lord, wherever the boat goes, wherever uh, the Marines tell them to go, God, and that they would find access to a good church and stand firm and resist, uh, Lord, uh, many of the lies that we foisted upon them uh, through some trainings, Lord, and may they learn the good stuff and continue to use it, and it would be helpful for them as they carry on in the life, God. There's many uh, good self-control 
mechanisms and teachings uh, in uh, those branches, those uh, fields of endeavor, God. We pray in particular, Lord, for those Christians who have uh, access uh, to others, Lord, to speak the truth to them, uh, police officers and those in the medical field, and like God, they see, again, so much misery and so much turmoil, Lord. They see the effects of sin across the world, Lord, in a way we don't, because, again, in your special providence, we have a lot of these good facilities and good businesses and good uh police and medical lords, that we are protected from the worst of many things that the rest of the world often sees. And so, God, may they have the opportunity to speak the truth, to show people their need of a Savior. Particularly, Lord, we pray that you would help those Christians, God, to stand firm and that they would not be discouraged. And if it's too much, that they could find a a better job, Lord. We pray again for their good hours and for their protection, the bodily protection uh, that they need. We ask, God, that you would be with our sister churches, that is, in the North American uh, Reformed churches and Presbyterian churches, God, that we, Lord, will continue to pray for one another, for the PCA, for the URC and all the other churches, Lord, the RCUS and the like, God, that they would stand firm upon your word. And although they have uh, some different uh, confessions to some degree or another, we still have much in common, God. And so we pray that they would stand firm. They would follow the pure word of God, that they would have proper practices, Lord, and they would purge out, as we pray for our denomination, to purge out from us, Lord, violations of your word and thought, word and deed, that they would stand firm, God, upon your word and against the rising tide uh, tsunami, against the church, Lord, and the lies and everything else from society, God. And be with them, we pray. We pray for their growth. We pray for their numerical growth, Lord, that they would uh, grow unto you, Lord, and especially spiritually, Lord God above, that they would uh, do the right thing and become more faithful and more pure in accordance to your word, Lord. Protect them, we pray. We ask, Lord, not only for uh, these churches that are like faith and practice, but indeed all the churches, Lord. We pray for all of those that love Jesus Christ and confess his word. We think the best of them, Lord, and ask that you would be with them, that they would too grow, especially spiritually, God to understand your word more, that their pastor is God, would be zealous for your truth and zealous for your people to protect the flock, God, from lies and deceptions and from the wolves that wish to devour them. And so, God, Jesus, we pray that you continue to purify your church and protect your church as you promised in your word. We pray for ourselves, God, that we would continue to grow in obedience to your word and especially to your law as that is the call of sanctification. And as we go through First Peter, Lord, we are show particular applications of what it means to be sanctified. Help us to that end, we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings.
With these tithes and offerings, God, we give them as a token, that is a, a symbolic part of the whole, the whole of our life, Lord, that is dedicated to you. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can give such tithes and offerings and that they would be used again for your glorious namesake. Amen. You may be seated. Let us go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three. Verses one through six. First Peter three, verses one through six. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, the former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Let us pray. And so we read these words, Lord God above, for we who are your people, and the sisters of our church, God, in particular, and ask that you would be with us to be encouraged, and Lord, to carry on and to keep on carrying on, God, to persevere as wives, as women of the church, Lord, in general, and wives in particular, God, and to do their calling before you and to know that they can and continue to do thus because they have the Spirit of God in them. We pray for your blessings upon them. Amen. After explaining the requirement that Christians submit to earthly rulers and kings, as you recall in verses 11 and 12 in general, but 13 and following, in particular, to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, as well as masters and bosses, verses 18 and following, servants, be submissive to your masters. Peter now explains requirements of submission in marriage. Now, in the citizenship and the labor relations, many Americans, of course, today do not like the word submit. But it's an inescapable concept. They submit to the government all the time with speed limits or stoplights or something along those lines. They also submit to their bosses and OSHA standards at work, even if they think the OSHA standards are a waste of their time. You do them, you're submitting to them, to others to it. Although, of course, in your heart you may not be. That's another story. And that is all that's meant by the word submission, or as the KJV puts it, in subjection to. I suppose that the retort is, hey, by many Americans, I am free to leave my job at any time. That is true. Unlike many slaves of old, you can leave your job anytime you want. Well, sort of. I mean, if the market's bad, you probably won't. If you don't have enough savings, you probably won't. If you can't find a better job, you probably won't. So your idea that is many Americans, say you, many Americans' idea of freedom is actually uh, misconceived. We fell, we fell for our own rhetoric, is another way of saying it. We've fallen for our own rhetoric. We don't have as much freedom as we think in the markets often. You'll likely not quit your job 
unless all things are lined up just right. Even with a terrible boss, you'll put up with it if you can't find another job, if you need the money, if you don't have the savings, if the economy's bad. You'll submit. But the case with marriage, of course, is different. Both parties enter into a marriage knowing that it should be for a lifetime. So there's some differences. They freely entered into a covenantal agreement that binds them to each other, limiting their so-called freedom. They are no longer free to pursue another spouse. They are no longer free to think only of themselves and only of their needs and only of their wants. They have to think of each other. This is exactly why the West has eviscerated marriage. It limited their so-called freedom, and they didn't like that. Now, you can divorce, but you should not divorce for no good reason. And unfortunately, they make it very easy to divorce for no good reason. That happened early on, before I was born. More and more states made easy divorce easy. They can break up a marriage. They can break up a family and children's lives because their freedom is more important than their spouse, their children, and God. From this broader, important perspective, it becomes clear that the modern dislike of submission is, in fact, a red herring. It's a dislike of submitting to God because they will submit to all kinds of things and people and and places and authorities but God. So let us look today at this verse to encourage our sisters of, of the faith to persevere in the grace of God in their marriage, honoring their husbands, and above all, honoring our God and Savior. So to the first point, wives submit to husbands, verse 1. That's the main idea, obviously, in these verses here, and he continues to explain in the rest of the verses uh, encouragement and ways of what that looks like. Now, the context here is apparently, and it seems very clear to us, unbelieving husbands, right? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, which is another way of saying obey the gospel, which is another way of saying follow the gospel, being submissive, right? Being a Christian. They're not Christians. That if you have unbelieving husbands, you may win them with the conduct of your actions. And as you recall, the context, again, back to verse 11 and following, Behold, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. They are watching you, and they want to speak of you as evildoers. Don't give them a reason. And he goes through the different relationships we have to society, to the magistrate in general, and then to your bosses, and now within the family. And these are all particular applications of the broad principle, having your conduct honorable among the unbelievers. The world is watching, brothers and sisters, and that is the backdrop of Peter. And so here, when we read that your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word, these are Gentiles, they are watching your conduct, Seeing how these Christians, what are they up to? The civil leaders, of course, were Gentiles. The masters were Gentiles, more or less. And here, the husbands, at least his particular context he's dealing with in application, are apparently Gentiles as well. Gentile husbands, suspicious of a new religion. Don't forget back then, the Gentile husbands are different than the, the husbands today who are unbelievers. Today, many husbands don't take the church seriously or religion seriously. It's a very feminine religion. Religion is feminist, feministic to them. It's, it's a womanly thing. 
And it has been, especially in the mainline churches. I mean that in the worst sense. It's a good way to be a womanly, obviously, in a bad way. And a good way to be a man in a bad way. And they see it as a woman thing. And they're a guy, and they don't want to do this woman thing. Back then, religion was masculine. The men called the shots. It was a patriarchy, and has always been. And the man's religion was the household religion, period. And so he, from that perspective, is suspicious of his wife with this new religion. Think about it. He wants his kids raised up in another way of thinking. Remember how integrated religion was in their society? Everyone was expected to give their offerings, even in the marketplace. Paul talks about that in Corinthians and Romans, doesn't he? What do you do with these foods and meats offered to idols in the marketplace? Religion was, religion was the glue that kept Rome together. That was their social connection. Ours is what? Sports. <laughs> Politics, I suppose, to some degree, depending on where you are. It's religion back then, brothers and sisters. So the husband, either a Gentile husband or a Jewish non-converted Jew, right? The Jews that haven't become Christians yet. He's also going to be suspicious of this Jesus religion. Who, what's my wife going to do now? What's his religion teaching her? See? So, the unbelieving husband in particular, be submissive to your husband that even if some do not obey the word, now obviously I don't have to say that he's not saying submit to your unbelieving husband, but not to your believing husband. <laughs> it's all the more a fortiori. Submission, the word submission, be submissive, to be in subjection to, to be in obedience thereof. We know what the word means, even when we don't want to do it especially. As someone used to ask, what, uh, where is submission? He uses it rhetorically. Where is submission if we only submit when we all agree? It's a clever way of reminding us we know what it is. When he hits us, and we're like, I don't want to, I don't want to. Unless, again, it's a command to sin, we are called to submit. So it's not just uh, the wives, it's the men of well in society, servants, workers. We're called to submit. And we know what the word is. The same word used here for servants and elsewhere. In fact, Jesus submitted to his parents. Luke 2, 50, 51. Then he went down to them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. As we say, it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. 1 Corinthians 16, 16, that you also, that as Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Submit to the leadership of the church, uh, listen to those, help those, etc. He's talking about in that context. Submission is the natural state of life, it's the natural state of the church. Paul to Titus in Titus 2, 5, be discreet, that is to Titus to explain to the women, Titus isn't called to be discreet in this sense. Titus 2.5 to the women, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That's the concern there, and that's the concern here in 1 Peter. A new religion in Rome, people are watching them very carefully, watching the Christians, watching the women. Now, of course, the context is different. Marriage is not... Working for a master, marriage is not submitting unto a magistrate. A wife is not to be treated as a slave. A wife is not to be treated as a child. A wife is not to be treated as another citizen that you just happen to hang out with. Marriage is the context, as I said at the beginning. Freely entered covenant between two adults who presumably learn about each other before binding themselves to each other. 
See, again, unlike a job where you bind yourself to the job real quick because you need a job, you should not bind yourself to marriage real quick just because you need a marriage. It, it can be a very, very serious thing. And I know it's harder and harder to find godly spouses these days, uh, but it's not the same. You need to be very careful. And they are binding themselves by commitments of love. I and mean, think of that language, you binding yourself by commitment of love. But I thought love was free, the Americans tell us. You can do whatever it wants. No, when you love somebody, you are committed to them. You love your children, you're committed to them, not to your next-door neighbor's kids. You've heard that before, it's obvious. And same here as we focus here, especially on the wife and the husband. And the commitment of love does not mean that it's expressed the same way. Love is not androgynous. I just ran across that recently on Twitter with this movement in some Reformed churches trying to bring in a different way of being a male and a female, we shall say. And one of the things the tweet was after the event occurred, it's a yearly event, uh, she said, you know, the fruit of the Spirit are androgynous. They are not. They are not. That's someone who has imbibed in the spirit of the age of egalitarianism. The love of the husband looks different than the love of the wife, doesn't it? What does a wife's love look like? Submission and being a helpmate. What does the love of the husband look like? Sacrifice, even to die for his wife. They look different because men and women are what? Oh, that's right, different. You've heard this before, and it's a good reminder for you again. It's not androgynous. The fruit of the Spirit look different between men and women because they have different responsibilities. It looks different for children, right? Children don't show love to their parents by treating their parents like other children, do they? No. And parents don't, love, don't show love to their children by letting the children run the household because, you know, the fruit of the Spirit are neutered somehow. It's just some kind of vague abstraction. If it's true for differences between men and women, if it's supposedly neutral that way, then it's true by age. What's the difference? An old person loves differently than a younger person because an old person has less energy. The expression is shown differently in many ways. Of course, obviously, there's overlap because your heart would be the same, your commitments are the same and the like, but there's lots of differences in terms of practice. And so in marriage, the expression of love is different. Men shall love by leading and by consideration of their wife, as we read in the next verses, and women shall love by obedience and affection and being a helpmate. Submission and practice. Parallel to our submission to Christ in Ephesians 5.24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. That's a a high parallel. That's 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 a serious, amazing overlap. They're not the same. It's like or as, right? Christ speaks, and you have instant obedience. The husband speaks, if he's lying, if he's you know, beating you or something, you don't have instant obedience. So obviously there's a breakdown of differences there. But all things considered equal, that's the parallel given by Holy Writ. The parallel is not a parallel of submitting when we feel like submitting, is another way of saying it. We don't feel like submitting to Jesus one day and the next day we don't. Uh, and same in the marriage. And of course, as I said, it's not unlimited. Only unlimited submission is to Christ Almighty. And of course, physical abuse of any type, you don't submit to that. 
because that's a violation of the sixth commandment. I mean, the husband's breaking the commandments of God upon you. <laughs> um, you you, you got to get away from that, of course, and physical uh, emergencies and the like, and call the cops. He cannot command you to sin, and he cannot command you to unnecessarily expose yourself to imminent danger, for example. And I'm not going to go through all the particulars of these things. People like to hear that in the American context again. We always want to hear the exceptions to the rule when we've destroyed the rule <laughs> in America. I mean, it's so easy to divorce. You have halitosis. Bye. You have bad breath. I'm out of here. Really? Really? You don't have to give a reason. You're just, you're just, it's divorced. I've witnessed it. It's terrible. I saw a Christian family, a Christian couple. They got married. And she's like, I'm tired of this guy. And there was no reason. The judge didn't have to hear a reason. The husband was fighting tooth and nail for the marriage. But she got the divorce, and it was okay. It was okay in the church. I've seen it more than once. This one I saw very intimately. It was okay with the churches, and it should not be. Now, of course, the submission to the husband is real, even in uh, small things in everyday life, although we may not like that sometimes. As they used to say about the president, the buck stops here. I think that was uh, Truman, right? He used to have a little buck stops here. That was a man who took responsibility for his office. Now, husbands will often and ask their husbands, ask their husbands, wow. Husbands will often ask their wives their opinion, seek their advice, but they can make the final decision on their own because the buck stops with them. They may or may not go your way. Submission, of course, should be made sweet with love. I hope it's made sweet with love. Love is not mentioned in this text. It's assumed in this text. Not every text in the Bible says everything. Just like in real life, you can't say everything in one sentence. It's assumed. It's the case of a Christian, especially in the case of Christian marriage between two Christians. When you love somebody, you put up with much, don't you? I hope you do. I think you have. I've known many of you for a long time. Love to a husband should include desire to follow his lead. And I know it can be hard at times, and husbands can be jerks and the like. In fact, even sinners. And Peter knows this, and this is why he offers some encouragement to the wives. I don't read this text as him beating the wives up, but reminding them and the church in general, the world is watching us. Wives exercise chastity. Wives exercise chastity. Verses 1 through 2, there's an overlap here. Remember, the verse divisions are random. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that without uh, that they, they who obey not the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of the wise when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Uh, and so I take in verse 2, I'm going to cover part of verse 1, what that chaste conduct looks like. In particular here, of course, he says that without a word, they who are disobedient to the word will be won by your conduct, your chaste conduct. Without a word, of course, is a play on words. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won over by your conduct. Or as we say today, actions speak louder than words. The husband's religion, as I reminded you before, was the family religion back then. And interestingly, of course, uh, today we have the wife's religion as the family's religion. They'll, they'll teach the kids and take them to church. I've met that over and over again. Now, a newly converted Christian wife, of course, won't do what? 
won't go to pagan worship with the husband. That's already going to be a problem in a, a tension in the family. He may even see it as rebellion in the household. And the way uh, the Christian wife to the unbelieving husband can reassure the husband is through submission, silent submission. Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16. Now, silence, of course, is not an absolute prohibition in the sense of there's never a time when a wife uh, can speak. Of course, there's times you can speak. Um, but at the, again, at the, at the end of the day, you know the buck stops here. And you, you stop, and the husband makes the decision. He may make it with you or without you. And you leave it in God's hands. Chastity here, uh, as someone had asked before, is, is not how you hear it in, if you're an older generation. It just means pure and upright. It's a very broad term. It's translated chastity here in all kinds of ways. Pure in conduct is the way to win the unbelieving husband to the Lord, or possibly if it's the Lord's good pleasure. Now, wives, third point, wives are adorned with gentleness, verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. He gives a, a godly example to encourage the sisters of the church. Don't use clothing to win the husband, is the way I would translate it. I paraphrase it. The arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel in the ancient Near East, excessive use of this was a problem, perhaps indicating a lady of the night. Especially true given the pagan rituals in some places that included men and women, and they were both ladies and men of the night. That was how they would worship their pagan gods. So again, you can see the Gentile husband seeing the wife and, you know, Paul, Peter's like, be careful how you dress. He doesn't think you're just another religion that has these kind of things with women uh, and the like. And of course, that you are uh, submissive and listen and, and submit uh, according to God's word. And so, thus alleviating the husband's suspicion or jealousy. Now, when he says, do not let your adornment be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on apparel. If you heard what I read, it's slightly different than your translation, because your translation, if it's like mine, has italics there for merely, and it has italics for the word fine, because they are not there in the text. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. The word merely is not there. Arrangement of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on a fine apparel. The word fine is not there. It's the word apparel. And that gives you a clue to what is being said here. Because some people will ask, is Peter absolutely prohibiting any type of adornment, of arranging of the hair? The hair should be just plain and laying down, of wearing gold ever. So you can wear silver, but not gold, perhaps. And putting on apparel. Well, there's your answer. Peter's not saying don't ever put on apparel. What would happen if you didn't put on apparel? That's right. You wouldn't have apparel. You wouldn't have clothing. But Peter is obviously not saying that. He's implying overly fine apparel. And by implication, therefore, overly uh, arrangement of the hair and excessive gold. And we would say gaudy, perhaps, today. Overdoing it. 
So when he says, then don't overdo it, don't dress up something that could be like the Lady of the Night, if that is the full context at the time, the ancient Near East, he certainly is emphasizing the inward man of the heart. Your disposition, your love, your gentleness, your quiet spirit. Gentle can be translated meek or kind. Quiet is just what it says, peaceful and tranquil. And of course, again, if true for the unbelieving husband, all the more true for believing husbands. That clothing and the arrangement of the hair, which are nice and pleasant things, and are, in fact, encouraged by our tradition that they be done in a modest fashion, but be done, that we dress up, we look nice, and the men should too, should not be an excuse, should not replace the call of inward sanctification that expresses itself in outward actions of gentleness, of quietness, of obedience. And he gives the Old Testament example, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves So he's playing off that idea, right? Adorn themselves how? With clothing? And they did. If you read the Old Testament, the women had nice clothes, nice garments, and things like that. But what he's highlighting, of course, is the adornment of their actions and of their soul, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And that's alluding to Genesis 18, 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Remember that? saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. The pleasure of having a child, the excitement of having a boy. As you know, the Lord heard, and she denied it. No, it wasn't me. (laughs) No, no. But she submitted to Abraham and his call to go to the promised land. To follow the Lord, she followed the Lord, trusting in God as a means of adorning herself with obedience. The example is Sarah's words to herself, and they were not even out loud, because the words she says is, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being also old. Because the phrase, my Lord, is used by Peter. He picks up on that. So even in her disbelief, she showed respect to her husband back then. Isn't that interesting? So although you may feel like you have a weak faith or no faith at all, but it's there. We have evidence of her with her faith here to the Lord God above and her submission to her husband. It is hard and sure, I know, but not impossible. And Peter is encouraging the women to persevere in holiness, in the fruit of the Spirit, as we heard this morning, in being renewed in the image of God, even with difficult, unbelieving husbands. Praise be to God, we do not have that although some of us have had that in the past. Christian freedom is not freedom from loving our spouses any more than it's freedom from obeying our masters and obeying the magistrates, as Peter reminded us in the prior verses. Being a Christian doesn't overthrow the natural order of things. Wives shall love to Christ and God by submission to their husbands, even unbelieving ones, and may the Lord God continue to bless you and strengthen you to that end. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God Almighty. We thank you, Lord, for these words. We pray, God, that they have indeed been encouragement, especially in this day and age, which fights and screams and rants and raves against such a basic belief, Lord, that was shared by unbelievers for thousands of years across all civilizations, Lord, to one degree or another. 
And we are trying to play God and overthrow the natural order of things. Our Lord and Savior, be with us, we pray, and be with our sisters, Lord, and continue to encourage them and strengthen them, we pray. In your name alone, we ask. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing. Hymn 700, which is an insert. My wife was being my helpmate, and she likes to find these songs, and we have this one.
Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.